Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. In this series, Pastor Kirk Hall will be teaching through the book of the Bible known as the Revelation. At this time, open your Bible as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to your heart. Can you guys turn to Revelation 13? And we come again to this 13th chapter, as I said, that we started before the break, and here we are. In the previous lesson, as you remember, or at least I hope you remember, if you don't, that's okay, you'll be refreshed. We titled it The, the Triaxis of Evil, and it was part one. And I told you many people like to use the term satanic trinity. I don't like to put the two words together. Uh, just something about that just doesn't seem right. Um, because the trinity is a whole other level of the mimicry that Satan is going to attempt to do. And so I, I refer to it as the triaxis of evil. And those who refer to it as the evil or wicked or satanic trinity, nothing against that. I just prefer not to, I prefer not to put Satan on the same plane as a triune God. And so we're looking at that triaxis of evil, the, the second part tonight. Let's kind of recap if we can. Let's read the first 10 verses together of chapter 13 to kind of get us where we're going tonight and what we saw last time. We'll talk a lot about that as we kind of make all of this gel together and make sense. And it says this in 13, and the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. We know that that dragon is that red dragon, which we know is Satan. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and he had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority, and one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast who can make war against him? What, what an awful sight this, this beast, this antichrist, is when he comes on the scene. Very uh, terrifying, very powerful. We see that their response is, who is like this beast who can make war against him? He was this victorious warrior. It says, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. We know that's a significant amount of time. That is three and a half years. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name, his dwelling place, and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, he will be killed. He's saying there's nothing you can do about what is going to happen. What's going to happen is going to happen. He says this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. We talked about all of that in our last session together. Tonight we're going to focus on the last eight verses uh, from 11 on to verse 18. We're going to focus on the next part of this triaxis of evil. So we have the dragon who was standing there by the sea, who we know is Satan. We have the beast who came up out of the sea. We came to the conclusion that this must be talking about the abyss. 
where those demonic forces were sentenced to that lowest of low places, and this beast or antichrist comes up out of that. We know that this is a demon who will possess a man. Too many times the antichrist is referred to as a man and seen as a man. So he will be a demon-possessed man. He is the second part of the triaxis. And tonight what we're going to look at is we're going to look at that third part of the triaxis, which will complete that triaxis, but it is the second beast. And we're going to see what happens with this beast, who this is, who this possibly could be. We're not going to speculate a whole lot, um, but we're going to talk about biblically who this could be and, and, and how this second beast, along with the first beast, the Antichrist, and the dragon, how they work together as one to gain the worship and the allegiance of the whole unbelieving world during that last three and a half years uh, that we know as the Great Tribulation. So we continue in verse 11. It says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Significantly different. I want you to pay attention to the differences. Uh, the first beast up out of the sea came up out of the sea um, as this mighty force that immediately, who can make war against such a beast? This one a little different. He had two horns like a lamb. These small horns, we know those horns indicate power. But this power of this lamb is really small in comparison to the power that we saw of the Antichrist. He's coming in a little bit different form, and it's important that we see that, and why? It says, but he spoke like a dragon. Now pay attention to that. He came as a lamb, but he spoke as a dragon. It goes on, and it says, he exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He's making sure that we understand who the first beast is. It's the Antichrist who had the fatal wound and that seemingly was healed. Whether that was a true healing and a true resurrection or whether that was staged, it's really insignificant because the world is going to think that this is a true resurrection. They're going to see that not only did Jesus claim to have the control and the power of life and to be the resurrection and the life, this beast, this Antichrist, also shows that he is, so he must be something godly as well. We know that is just a facade. We're going to see that in the end. It says that he made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Verse 13 says, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven. And it came down from heaven to earth in full view of men. He did these signs so that people could see them. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Verse 18 says, this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is six hundred. 
and 66. And we all say, ooh, let's forget about the first part that we read and try to figure out what that means. Don't go there yet. In fact, don't ever go there. Don't speculate when you don't need to speculate. Let's work our way through this, and it's going to give us some insight into the things that we have just read in regard to, remember the context of this, the triaxis of evil. This is this triaxis of satanic or demonic beings. And so we're going to look at this third part of this triaxis, this second beast. I'm going to talk about him in a moment, but before we do, let me bring you up to speed so that you understand the triaxis. Okay, there is the dragon. We saw that in verses 1 through 10. There is the dragon who is Satan. He is the counterfeit of the Father. Remember, Satan's desire is to be God and to worship, and to be worshiped, excuse me, as people worship God. We see that Isaiah chapter 14. He goes into all of his I wills. He desires to receive the one true God's glory. So we see the dragon as the counterfeit of the Father. He's described in chapter 12, verse 3. You can flip over there if you want to quickly. And it's, it speaks of him in verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. It's a description of him, and we broke that description down very clearly in our past lessons. For the sake of time tonight, we're not going to go back and break that down again. If you need to go back and review, go back and review that. That's probably two or maybe three lessons ago. But he has... He is described there in chapter 12 um, in detail. He's the one in chapter 12 who we know tried to devour the male child. We, know, we learned when we were there that that male child was Christ. And he was trying to devour him. And he was there at the birth of Christ. And we, we see him in the form of Herod the Great at that time who sought to kill the Christ. We talked about many of those aspects. Uh, again, no need to flesh all those out again, but we see there that he pursued the woman, and we learn that that woman was not Mary per se, but the people of Mary, that the one that he pursued was Israel, because he knew that the Messiah would come through those people. And then in the latter part of 12, uh, and the opening of 13, we see the same dragon standing by the opening of this abyss, the sea, as we see, and as we concluded is in reference to the abyss, the same abyss that we saw the, the hordes of demons released from earlier on in our study in Revelation. And so we look at that first element, the dragon, so that we can have some understanding. He is trying to masquerade as the father, if we would compare him to what we know as the godly triune God or the Trinity. Then we saw the Antichrist, uh, the first beast, which is the second persona or person of the triaxis of evil, again, trying to counterfeit the Trinity. That's why I say I don't like to label it a satanic Trinity. That gives him too much credit because he falls way too short in his mimicry. But we see that this is the counterfeit of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came to counterfeit him. The Antichrist is going to seem to many as this Savior. He's going to seem that to the Jew if you do a little research, he's going to seem like the same thing to even the Muslims who are on the earth in that day. He's there, Mahadi. When you study him, 
is the exact description of the Antichrist. And so they are going to see this Antichrist as their Mahdi. The Jew is going to see this Antichrist for a season as their true Messiah. And then we know this, the abomination of desolation, and that is when all hell is going to break loose, literally, upon the earth. And so the Antichrist, the first beast who came out of the sea, is the counterfeit of Christ. He's the counterfeit of the sun. In the description of him, he had ten horns, just as the dragon did. Um, and again, we talked about that. It's those ten horns, possibly a confederacy of ten nations. That's a great theory that will fall under his rule. It could be just ten nations, that number ten, representing the fact that all the nations of the world will fall under his rule. But definitely, he will be in supreme control of the earth at that time. Daniel chapter 7 confirms this for us. Um, We saw that he had seven heads uh, representing the seven hills of Rome. We talked about this and how he is the restoration of the Roman Empire that we will see in the end times. And he will control this system. And then we saw the ten crowns. We talked about those ten crowns symbolizing his authority and his power, as crowns always do. Um, Those crowns, all of them, remember, containing those blasphemous names, uh, blasphemy against God. Um, This will be the leader of the world as far as the realm of government and war and control. This will be a godless, demon-possessed leader known as the Antichrist or the first beast. So we have the dragon And we have the first beast, who is the Antichrist, making up the first two personas of this triaxis. And then tonight, we're going to see what is known as the false prophet. He is the second beast and the third person of this triaxis, or persona. Um, And he is going to be the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it make sense? That if Satan was going to mimic God and masquerade as God, he would counterfeit the Father, he would counterfeit the Son, and he would counterfeit the Holy Spirit. And so we will see that the false prophet is going to serve as such in many of his manners as he is here upon this earth. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you now, he will likely be a religious leader. Um, He will be a religious leader as we read in this text and have already read Uh, who will do the bidding of the first beast or the Antichrist. He's going to cause people and to promote the Antichrist in such a way that people will worship the first beast, the Antichrist. And so this false prophet, along with the Antichrist, along with the dragon making up that triaxis of evil, these three uh, will form this triaxis and they will establish complete control over the unbelieving system of this world during this last three and a half years of tribulation upon the earth. So, in our previous lessons, we gave great attention to the red dragon, the first beast, the Antichrist, but now we're going to really hone in on the third person of this triaxis, who is this false prophet, this second beast. As we look at him, now the second beast, or the false prophet, he will be this false religious leader. Verse 11 in chapter 13 speaks of this. It says, and I saw a beast coming out, excuse me, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Uh, 
this false religious leader, this false prophet coming up out of the earth, distinguishing himself differently from the Antichrist who came up out of the abyss or out of the sea. This demon-possessed person, and I believe it will be a person, uh, will be possessed by a demon who came up out of the earth, um, not to the extent of the demon who came up out of the abyss. Remember, there are those specific demons who were sentenced to Tartarus. If you study Scripture and you study history behind Scripture, you'll know that there has always been the thought of Tartarus, this deepest of darkest places, that is the abyss, that the first demon who possesses the Antichrist comes up out of. But here it says that this particular demonic force came up out of the earth. That's how we realize that they are two different personas or persons. And so many believe that this could be some type of religious leader, perhaps a pope. Many throughout history have talked about that, perhaps some Muslim leader, um, but it will not be as the Antichrist, who is this governmental political power, it will be, in fact, on the opposite end of the spectrum, a religious power. Now, think about that for one moment, because there's always been this chasm between government and religion. Now, we see it even now in our country. That chasm will seemingly be dissolved. And there will be unity between government and politics and religion. There will be a one-world government, and there will be some type of one-world religion. Now, could it be a pope? Could it be some other type of false religious leader? Possibly, but let's not be so dogmatic because we really don't know to the full extent of where this person will come from. We do know this, when we look at the origin of the beast, there in the first part, he comes up out of the earth, and he is a demon-possessed man. He is going to confirm his demonic powers through all sorts of miraculous signs and wonders. This is why we confirm and believe that this is going to be a man. He is going to be a man just as I am a man and you are a man, just as the Antichrist will be a man. But he's going to be a religious man. And he's going to be a man of great influence. Great influence not for the reason that the Antichrist is a man of great influence. The Antichrist is going to be of great influence because of his military strength and might and because of his governmental power and authority. However, the second beast is going to be some type of religious influence. How do we know that? We know that because he's referred to elsewhere in Scripture as this. In Revelation 16, 13, it says this, Then I saw three evil spirits, right? Demons that looked like frogs. And they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. You see there, the dragon... You see there the beast, the Antichrist, and then that second beast who we're talking about tonight extensively, we see that second beast is referred to as a false prophet. Now, we know that false prophets always find their root in some type of religious system, right? You can't have false prophets 
prophets and false prophecy without some type of religious system. That's why we can conclude that this is going to be some type of religious leader, not only in Revelation 16, but also in Revelation 19. We see this in verse 20. But the beast was captured, and he will be, thankfully. That's talking about the Antichrist. And with him, the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. How do we know who that is? We go back to where we are in chapter 13 and go, okay, this false prophet is going to perform miraculous signs on behalf of the Antichrist to draw people to worship the Antichrist, who is the first beast. And so we know here in Revelation 19, it's talking about the same person. And it says, with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Again, great confidence when we read that, that they won't rule and reign forever. They will only rule and reign for those three and a half years upon the earth as they torment the unbelievers who are here and they chase and torment the believers who are here. Both being tormented by their authority, but both being tormented in different ways. So we see that Revelation confirms that this is some type of religious person, religious leader. 20 verse 10 in Revelation, and the devil who deceived them, right? The father, the mastermind behind it, was thrown into the lake of of burning sulfur where the beast, there's your antichrist, the beast, the first beast who came up out of the abyss, and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so we see when Revelation speaks of this second beast on multiple occasions, he speaks of this second beast as a false prophet. So it moves us to the description of this false prophet, this second beast. 11 said, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He has two horns like a lamb. And it's very important that we understand why John puts this detail in here. Uh, we know when he described the dragon... When he described the Antichrist, he described them as these horrific creatures, right? Here we have just a basic male lamb with two horns, as the male lambs in their time would have. This beast is going to be far less intimidating than the ferocious description that you see of the Antichrist there in 13 Uh, verses 1 and 2, and you are hopefully familiar with that as he came out and had ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns and blasphemous names upon the crowns. Here we have the second beast. When he shows up, he's a lamb with two horns. Uh, He's going to come less intimidating. Why? Because he's going to gain people's control through so-called unity and harmony. And what he's going to be able to do as this lamb, he's going to be able to bring a false unity and a false religious harmony upon the earth, seemingly like the earth has never seen. That's why he is going to be so alluring. He's going to come as a lamb. However, he's going to speak as a dragon. So this agent of the dragon, this agent of the Antichrist is going to, through subtlety and through gentleness, as many false religious leaders and cult leaders throughout history have done, right? No one would trust them if they didn't come gentle and kind, bringing forth unity. He's going to come bringing those things. 
but he's still going to be an agent of Satan. And just as the Antichrist was a political leader and will be that political leader, he will be that convincing religious leader who turns all of unbelieving mankind to the worship of the Antichrist and the image of the Antichrist. He speaks like a dragon. When he speaks, he speaks lies. How many of you understand when we look at the dragon and we see Satan, we know that Satan is what? The father of what? Lies. Lies, according to Scripture, are his native tongue. That's the language that the enemy, Satan, speaks. And so he's going to come looking as a two-horned lamb, but he's going to speak lies. He will be that religious spokesperson for this satanic triaxis of evil. He will be the religious spokesperson for the Antichrist. Just as the Word of God, I told you, He is mimicking the Holy Spirit. Just as the Word of God has been given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this false prophet is going to give his religious words, the words of the Antichrist, the words of the dragon. People are going to see them as true. We know that the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 20, tells us that the Holy Spirit inspired men to write the things down that we have that we call the Word of God. In fact, it says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how we have God's Word in our hand today. We know that these men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, the words of the false prophet in the days of the Antichrist in the last three and a half years of that tribulation time, they are going to seem like truth. They are going to lead many astray. But they are going to be nothing more than the talk of a dragon. They are going to be the lies that Satan has always spewed. We go back to the garden and we see that. He spewed lies to Eve, causing her to buy in to his deceit. And here we are. And sin entered in, and we know what happens. But just as God breathed Scripture through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this Antichrist is going to bring seemingly truth to the unbelieving, lost, pagan world. He's going to deceive them with the very voice of Satan, and he is going to mislead the entire unbelieving world. He is going to mislead them into a false system of worship. So this false prophet will point to the Antichrist and through the authority of the Antichrist that we saw there in these verses that he will be given, he will achieve religious power as the Antichrist is achieving governmental power. All in the name of the dragon, Satan. To the lost world, it is going to seem like Finally, finally, government is where it needs to be. Religion is where it needs to be. It's going to seem like unity. But it's only going to seem like that for a season. Government and religion, false religion, will unite during this time under the Antichrist. Many people say, how could he sway so many people, right? He's going to sway some through politics, leading them into false religion. He's going to sway some 
through false religion, leading them into corrupt politics. That's why it's important that we as men of God stick to the teaching of sola scriptura. What does the true word of God say about everything? So we see the description of this second beast, coming like a lamb, speaking like a dragon. Let's look at his function. How is he going to function? What is his goal? What is he trying to achieve? What will he achieve? Verse 12 begins to speak of this. He exercised all authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven. Sound familiar? Remember the witnesses that we just saw a few chapters back who called fire down from heaven? The enemy is going to have his false prophet do the same thing. He's going to do the same thing in the form of those two witnesses that the earth had just seen that the Antichrist actually killed. We know this. They, they were killed. They were resurrected three and a half days later. They were raptured up into heaven. Now he is going to look co-equal to this by these signs that he is going to perform. He's going to cause fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of, his, of, the, of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. How is he going to deceive them? Pay attention to that. Signs, miracles, and wonders. That's why I say to you, beware when you jump on the bandwagon of signs, miracles, and wonders. Even Jesus himself said this, a wicked and perverse generation seeks after signs, miracles, and wonders. Here at this time upon the earth during the great tribulation, it will be the entire earth inhabited by unbelievers who are seeking signs, miracles, and wonders. And here, just in time, this religious leader, this false prophet, is going to do these specific things. He goes on to say that he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. He makes an image to the first beast, gives power to it, so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He's talking about an image that he's going to create. We'll talk more about that in a second. He's going to create some type of idol that will actually communicate, and speak, and seem real. So many, as they look at this second beast of this triaxis of evil, forget that this won't be a time without religion. Many people think that during this Great tribulation, it would just be a time of lawlessness and anarchy without government and religion. It will not. In fact, it will be one of the strongest governments for a season that the world has ever seen. And it will be the strongest religious unity that the world has ever seen for a season. So don't think for a second that just because the world is in an evil time, there will be the absence of religion. How many of you understand? You can have all the religion in the world and still not know Christ. And they're going to have it during this time, led by this false prophet, this second beast that came out of the earth. In fact, he is going to inundate the world with a false satanic religious system like the world has never seen. So the second beast will function as this chief prophet of this religious movement. Now, you can let your imagination go all over the place as to who this is going to be. I would encourage you, don't do that. Don't do that. If the time comes and we are able to see this from heaven, which I believe we will, uh, we'll know. 
uh, will know this is the one. Uh, he will be this end-time prophet in the pattern of the wolves and sheep's clothing that we see Jesus warn us about, that we see the New Testament warn us about over and over and over. But he will be the last of the false prophets. He'll be the last, just as the Antichrist will be the last of the satanic government leaders before Christ comes and sets the record straight for them both when he brings true one-world government and true one-world worship, the only one who is worthy to be the king of the earth, the only one who is worthy to be Lord of all. Uh, but before that happens, Satan is going to try to copy this. He's going to try to masquerade as if he is the one. But this false prophet being used by him uh, will lead others to the Antichrist. He'll mislead and he'll deceive multitudes. Multitudes. In fact, all unbelievers at that time will succumb to the false prophet's teaching and they will follow the beast. And what a dreadful day that is going to be. Um, he will convince the whole world that the Antichrist is truly God. And he'll perform these miracles, whether they are authentic miracles, or whether they are phony miracles, we really don't know. Many have asked that question, will they be real miracles? Could this happen? Well, can angels do miracles? The answer to your question is yes. Are demons fallen angels? Yes. Can this demonically possessed false prophet perform legitimate miracles? I'm assuming through Scripture that yes, he could if a sovereign God allows him to do that during this time. And since the sovereign God's word testifies that he will, I have no reason to believe that he's not going to do miraculous things. That's why we must be careful in following after signs, miracles, and wonders because those signs, miracles, and wonders, as we have seen in the charismatic movement in our day, can be performed by demonic influences who lead people actually not toward Christ, but lead them away from Christ and away from the truth of the word and away from the true gospel. This false prophet will be doing the same thing to an extent like the world has never seen, convincing the entire unbelieving world that the Antichrist is truly God. We see he will call fire down from heaven, as I've said, possibly to mimic those two witnesses that we saw earlier who we couldn't decisively agree who they really are. We could only speculate. Is it Moses? Is it Elijah? Does it really matter? No, it doesn't. There will be two witnesses that God raises up for his glory during this time. They will make a great impact for the kingdom of Christ. And then they will be taken to heaven. We see also in this text that we're looking at tonight, this beast, the second beast, the false prophet, who is performing signs and calling fire down from heaven. He also establishes idolatry. And he's going to order that an image of the Antichrist be constructed. Right, one thing that we all worry about that they won't worry about in the end is who the Antichrist is. <laughs> They'll know exactly who he is. They just won't call him by name because they have been deceived by the false prophet. They will actually call him God. and They will actually worship him as such. The false prophet is going to make this happen by constructing or having constructed this image of the Antichrist, a statue a form, we don't know exactly what it will be, but it will follow in the pattern of Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, Daniel chapter 3. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? What did the Hebrew boys resist? They resisted worshiping this 90 feet high 
golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had constructed, and he told everyone in Babylon that they must bow and worship this golden image. It's going to happen similar to that during the reign of the Antichrist and during this time of the false prophet. The difference in this image and the images of the Old Testament that's going to deceive a lot of people is that the false prophet somehow has the power the ability to make this image actually speak. And so they're going to see it, it's going to speak, and it's going to seem as real. What's different about this particular idol than all the idols that we see in the Old Testament? The psalmist said this in Psalm 135, verse 15, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot here, nor is their breath in their mouths. Now, what's going to happen during the last days is this image of the Antichrist is going to speak, and he's going to seem as if he has some type of life, and the false prophet, however, through the power of Satan he does this, is going to seemingly make this image like no other idol before. Many people say, well, how could people worship the Antichrist? Well, a talking statue is going to confirm that he's God, and none of you in this room have ever seen a talking statue, but the day that you do, I'm very confident of this. If you did see this in an unbelieving state, you could say there's something to this. I've never seen a statue talk before. I've never seen a statue with the authority to take human life before. There's something about this, and they're going to, in their own minds, be so deceived that they are going to believe that the Antichrist is God, and they're going to worship him as such. And so, those who will not, we know those are the true believers who will be there in these days. They are the elect during this time. Uh, they will all be put to death who will not worship this image of the Antichrist. You see that in the latter verses there, 15 and 16. 15, it says, that um, in verse, sorry, chapter 13, verse 15, it says he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. Remember the psalmist said there's no breath in their mouths, but this image, this idol, will have breath so that he could speak. The psalmist said in Psalm 135, this image of gold and silver, it, it doesn't have hand, it's made by hands of men and it doesn't have the ability to talk. This one actually will. He goes on and says, and calls all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. He's going to kill everyone who does not worship the image of the beast. Sound familiar? It sounds like Babylon in the days of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as recorded in Daniel. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. Many of you are already worried. Have we taken it without knowing? Have we received the mark of the beast without knowing? No, you haven't. I can assure you of this. None of you have received the mark of the beast without knowing it. When you hear a preacher or a Bible teacher start saying that, turn them off. Okay? They'll know that they took this mark. They just won't know that it is truly the Antichrist. They will think that they are doing the right thing. Succumbing to the finally governmental authority that is going to rule and reign like We've always wanted a government to, and finally to a religion where it brings everyone into harmony 
and unity. No longer any division. So this false prophet will have the power to seemingly do those things. Forcing the people to worship the image of the beast or to lose their life. Isn't that what man loves the most? Their own life. So it's very simple. In an unbelieving world, all we have to do is say, do what we say do and live. Don't do what we say do and die. Now, I know there are many people who don't like to hear these things. We have gotten a glimpse of this in the past few years. I am not predicting that any of that is the Antichrist. I'm saying that it gave us great inclination, insight into how the whole world will be deceived. How will they be deceived? Follow me or lose your life. It's that simple. Now, those of us who are truly born again, we know this. We already lost our life. Our life is in Christ. That's where it is hidden. And when He's revealed, our life will be revealed. We're not worried about losing our human and carnal lives. We know that our life is beyond this world. However, we're talking about an entire world of unbelieving pagans. They're going to have the option. Bow down, worship the image of the beast, or die. What decision would you make if you were an unbeliever here today? I can tell you I know the decision that I would make as an unbeliever. Because when I was an unbeliever, you know who I loved most? This guy. And so I'll say, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do whatever the talking image wants me to do. Because I want to live. I don't understand as a non-believer that my life is not really what I see. It's not the tangible, but it is the spiritual. Those of us who have been born of the Spirit, we understand where true life is really found. So it's, it's even hard for us as believers to even look at this and to really begin to comprehend it. So I'm going to ask you for a moment to take yourself out of your Christian realm, your believing realm, and Ask yourself this question, if I wasn't a believer, if God hadn't graciously revealed to me Christ and that my life is truly found in Him and Him alone, what would I do in the situation where I was presented with bow to this image or die? Make your family bow to this image or we'll kill them too. We all know, if we're honest, in an unbelieving state, what we would do. That's what's going to happen upon the earth. And the false prophet is going to play a huge role in that going to play a huge role into turning the whole world to worship the Antichrist. We see the function of this second beast. Who we'll also give a mark, as we saw there in verse 16. Verse 16 begins to speak of this mark. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Why on the hand and on the forehead? Well, many cultures dress in many different ways, don't they? Right? Some cultures wear veils where you couldn't see their forehead, but you can see their hand. We know that some women, maybe the only thing that you're going to see on her in that culture is a hand. So he's going to give the option you wear this mark on your hand, or you wear this mark on your forehead. If you don't wear this mark, plain and simple, um, you won't be able to trade, to buy, to sell, to shop, 
to get the goods that you need to survive, and you ultimately will die anyways. So we see here the false prophet is going to work to bring harmony between government and religion. Worship the beast and live. Succumb to the governmental system of the beast, the Antichrist. You'll continue to live as well. You won't do that without worshiping the image of the beast, and you won't do that without bearing the mark on your hand or on your forehead, the name of the beast or the number of his name. What is that? Right? Because we all want to know that. This is really where we usually jump ship and forget about the entire lesson and just try to figure out what is the mark of the beast. I'm not going to be able to enlighten you to that tonight. I'm not going to make the error that many have made who have stood in my same shoes because they make that error simply on speculating. Um, I'm not going to speculate. Uh, there's never been, I have never seen a one-world ruler like this. I have never seen a one religious leader unifying the world in some type of religion like this. I'm not going to speculate a whole lot here, but I'll tell you this, just what the Scripture says. This mark will identify and distinguish those who succumb to the Antichrist and those who worship the Antichrist from everyone else. And that's what it is intended to do. That is the intended purpose. All others who deny the mark, they're going to die. How will they die? Many of them by starvation, right? They can't buy, they can't sell, they can't trade. Won't be long, right? You're going to die. Many of them will die there because they will not worship the image of the beast. So, we look at the function of the second beast and see how he will function and why he functions. And then in the last verse here, we're going to talk about this a little bit. We've been getting to it. We're here. We'll talk about it. Verse 18 tells us this calls for wisdom. What? Well, we see in 17... No one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now John does us a favor, and he says it calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast. For it is, underline this in your Bible, please, because I think when people read over this, this is where they miss it. It is man's number, period. His number is six hundred. And 66. Now, this, as I said, is where many people get extremely distracted from the importance of this text and even the importance of this verse. They get so distracted that they come up with all sorts of theories. And I want to give you some of those theories throughout history. Why I would warn you, don't speculate. Don't try to figure this out. Don't try to figure out who's the Antichrist, what is the mark of the beast. You'll know when you know. You can know some things, but the things that you can't know, you just can't know. Watch this. Many suspected in history that it was Emperor Nero because he was the notorious persecutor of the church, as if he was the only Roman emperor that ever persecuted the church, which he was not. I promise you that. There was a wider, a wider persecution under Domitian. But they think that it's Nero, because when they change his name up a little bit and they take his name and put it in Greek and then translate it in Hebrew, 
the letters that coincide with numbers equal 666. And if you've ever seen it, I'm not going to take the time to do it because it's so foolish. But if you've ever seen them work the equation, man, it, it's, it's almost like a carnival. And you see those carny guys do those tricks, right, where you're shooting the basketball and the basketball hoop that you're shooting at so far away that you can't tell that a basketball won't fit into it unless you hit it exactly right. And so you've seen this, that many thought it was Nero. Here's what we do know about Nero. He died, and he never ruled the whole world. Scratch him off your list. I know good theologians who still want to be preterist and say that it was Nero. He did not rule the whole world. There was no false prophet who led led others to worship him, though he presented himself as some kind of deity. Many of wicked men have done that throughout history. That does not make them the Antichrist, though they are, as Jesus even spoke of, the spirit of Antichrist. They are those tremors pointing toward the great earthquake that will come. Many say it was Nero. They are absolutely wrong. Did you know this? There are many who believe that Martin Luther, many Catholics, who believe that Martin Luther was the Antichrist because he confronted the Catholic Church. He brought the Protestant Reformation, and we as Protestants, those of us who hold to the Reformed traditions of of Protestantism, uh, we have fallen to the Antichrist, who is Martin Luther. Um, And that, too, is a theory that is full of so many holes that it's not even funny. Uh, Pope Leo X, uh, Martin Luther wrote about him. In fact, Martin Luther thought that Pope Leo might be the Antichrist. And Martin Luther was wrong because, guess what? Pope Leo never ruled the entire world. Napoleon Bonaparte, pretty good candidate, right? Um, Napoleon Bonaparte, um, you could, if you did the math right, um, you could take L. Imperior, Napoleon, a title he never used. (laughs) You can take that, you can add it, mix it with a series of numbers, and you can come up with Napoleon's name being 666 if you wanted to do that. The unfortunate thing is, well, Napoleon didn't make it, did he? He didn't rule the entire world, though he desired to, he didn't. Well, what about in the 30s and 40s? A man hit the scene called Adolf Hitler. We all know a little bit about him, or I hope you do. And many thought that Adolf Hitler, rightfully so, was he an antichrist? 100%. Was he the antichrist? No. How do I know that? How do we know? Because our American history books tell us the truth about that. There was a certain day where he, along with all of his evil regime, they met their fate. And so we know, even though that many people would have said in his time that he is Adolf Hitler and the swastika is the mark that is associated with his name. Viable theory, if you lived in the 40s before he died and before his reign ended. They took Hitler's name. And if you assigned a value of 100 to a letter or to the letter A, and then 101 to the letter B, and so on and so forth, right, through the entire English alphabet, did you know this? Hitler adds up to 666. The only problem is, Hitler never ruled the whole world. Many said John F. Kennedy, right? Here's, to me, the most convincing theory. (laughs) No, it's my second. I'll get to my favorite in a second. John F. Kennedy received 666 votes at the 1956 Democratic Convention. And he later died of a head wound. 
However, he did not come back from that head wound. <laughs> and he did not rule the world, did he? We know this. History tells us that. Uh, there are those who said Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist, and for another mathematic reason, his name in Hebrew adds up to 111, 666 divided by 6. So that obviously makes him the Antichrist. Miguel Gorbachev, y'all remember that in the 80s where he had that mysterious birthmark on his head and everybody was saying, oh, look at that birthmark. That's a wound on his head that looks like he recovered from that. And he's, you know, he's the leader of the Soviet Union. And man, if you look at that image just right, just long enough, what did it look like? A six, right? If you squeeze your eyes like this and you looked at a picture, his birthmark kind of looked like a six. And many people said this, that it was Mikhail Gorbachev. Well... That all ended, thank you, Ronald Reagan, right? In the end of the Cold War, and we know the history behind that. He never ruled the entire world. Are you tired of this? No, don't be tired of this. I'm, I'm telling you these things so that you're not foolish enough to think that you can figure out who he is. <laughs> Many thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. Um, they thought he was the Antichrist because Ronald Wilson Reagan, watch this, his names all had six letters in his name because there's no other person on the planet who, who has that, right? So Ronald Reagan, because he had six letters in Ronald, six letters in Wilson, and six letters in Reagan, well, obviously, he's the one. And remember, he got shot, and he made it. Well, unfortunately... He did not rule the entire world. In fact, he was just a president for a while for the United States. We know that. Now, here's my number one favorite that history has deemed as the Antichrist, uh, the ever-so-popular Barney, the purple dinosaur. Um, because, now I know some of you are going to leave here tonight, and you're going to feel like you have been enlightened and that Barney truly was and is the Antichrist. But here's how they figured the math on that. Because he was in all of your homes if you lived under that era. You saw Barney, right? I love you. You love me. And what he was doing without you knowing it, he was the image <laughs> that the false prophet created who spoke because Barney talked to your kids. And what he was doing without you know it through the waves of television, he was actually leading all of your kids to worship the Antichrist. Because when they sang I Love You to Barney, uh, they were really bowing down and worshiping the beast, the Antichrist. Now, they figured this, and, and I find this most interesting, that if you were to take your pen and paper out, I would encourage you to do this now just to see the foolishness of it. Um, they would write out the words, cute, purple, dinosaur. Now, it would then, in ancient Latin letters and characters that they would assign to this, come up with this Latin phrase to represent cute purple dinosaur, which would be saviti pevpul dinosav. Okay? What they did was they took C-V-T-E, that was cute, P-V-R-P-L-E, that's purple, and dinosaur, D-I-N-O-S-A-V-R. Now, it doesn't stop there. That was the, the Latin derivative of cute purple dinosaur. Then they would extract the numbers out of that that were Roman numerals, right? Because Rome plays a big 
part in this. And they do. They resurrected Rome for sure. And then they would add all the Roman numerals that were found in that Latin phrase that they took from English, cute purple dinosaur, and they would come up with C plus V plus V plus L plus D plus I plus V. And the result in Roman numerals is, guess, guess it, what is it? 666. So that, to me, definitely confirms that the Antichrist is Barney the cute purple dinosaur. You laugh, but these are facts. Barack Obama, right? You know why Barack Obama was considered one of the reasons, considered the Antichrist, which he wasn't because he didn't rule the entire world at all. The day after the 2008 election in Illinois, the pick three lottery numbers, 666. Would you believe it? Uh, could it be that the prince and power of this world is playing games with so many people so that they miss the important things that are surrounding all of this and sidetracking them with this endless uh, journey to try to find out who this person is, who I promise you this, when he hits the scene, will be obviously seen. Bill Gates, right? Got to be him, right? Bill Gates, um, because... Um, they can turn his name into 666 very easy, right? They say, if you've ever studied Bill Gates and why people think he's the Antichrist, watch how many different ways they twist his name and try to make it fit the 666 requirement that they're totally missing the point about. And then there's the World Wide Web. Yes, the Internet could possibly be the Antichrist, um, because the portion of the internet, which you know as the World Wide Web, being the Antichrist, the Hebrew equivalent, W is the letter V-A-V or Vav, which does double duty in Hebrew as the number six, right? So when you do that, you get Vav, 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 which you get World Wide Web, which you get 666. Now, You'll have to pardon all my sarcasm on that so that we can get back to what we are looking at, the unholy system of the Antichrist, because I know you guys are ready to go, and you really want to know who he is, and I'm not going to be able to tell you that tonight, nor will I ever be able to tell you that. The important thing that you see here is what it is saying in verse 18. Verse 18 says this, this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. It's man's number. There's no need for you to try to work out this puzzle. It's man's number. We need to start there. What could be man's number? Well, man has existed through many cultures, many times throughout history, many ways, many places, right? So I don't know why we think that we can label it and narrow it down to one culture, and this is the one, it's the Roman numeral, it's the Hebrew alphabet, it's Latin. He says it is the number of men. What does it mean? I think it's a little clearer to interpret than we've made it. That's why I think we've messed it up so many times. Let's, let's think about this for a second. Let's, let's use a little biblical numerology because we have studied a little bit of numerology in this study. What is seven? It is God's perfect number. It is his number of completion. So I think if we define for ourselves first God's number, what would God's number be? 
It would be seven, right? Is he perfect? Is he holy? Is he complete? Is he lacking of nothing? Yes, God's number is seven. Remember, we, we learned about the seven spirits of God. God is perfect. Now, if God is perfect and he is also triune, and we know that in the context of this, he is defining for us the tri-axis of evil. Just keep it in the context. So if we look at this and we say God's number would be seven, and we see that God is triune, we would say that God is what? 777. He is 777. He is perfect, perfect, perfect. Or, as we know, the angels declare, right, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. How about that? 777. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Complete, complete, complete. Lacking nothing, lacking nothing, lacking nothing. Set apart, set apart, set apart. That's what holy, holy, holy would mean. Now, if we can define God's number as seven, and we can clearly do that through biblical numerology. We don't have to go to the newspaper, right, in the 1940s or in 2035. We don't have to look ahead and try to find something that points us to this man so that we can understand this number. It is a system, and it is the system of, what did he say? Man. That's another reason that I believe the Antichrist, the first beast, and the second beast, the false prophet, will be demon-possessed men. Why? Because Satan is in control and will continue to be in control of man's wicked system on this earth now and all the way through those last three and a half years of tribulation until Christ comes and he sets foot on the Mount of Olives. Now, pay attention to this. God's perfect number is seven. God is represented, we know, as a triune God all throughout Scripture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, 777. Man's number would fall short of that. John is simply saying here, this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. What kind of beast have we been talking about here? This triaxis of evil, right? The dragon... The Antichrist, the false prophet. Man, man, man. Or you could do this. Unholy, unholy, unholy. Or you could simply do this. Six, six, six. What he is showing us is this is an imperfect system. How do we know it's an imperfect system? Because it is led by the deception of the dragon, it is then given authority to the governmental power of the Antichrist, the first beast, the first six, the dragon, the second six, the Antichrist, and the third six, the false prophet, who all work together as one, the 666, the 666. There's no need to speculate beyond that point. It simply means Unholy, unholy, unholy. Sinful, sinful, sinful. Isn't that the system of man? We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Isn't it interesting that we're in Revelation, the last book, and we consistently go back to the Garden of Eden? What entered in there? The system of man. And what is our system? Sin. And we know that that system began because of the influence of the dragon. It has not changed. 
Don't get caught up in trying to figure out what, what mark will be on them. It will be some type of mark that will be obvious. When they take this mark, they know this. They are giving allegiance to whoever that one world government leader is. They're giving allegiance to him. There will be no mystery behind that, right? You don't have to worry about that. Good news if you're a believer here today. We will see it from the other side of glory. Those who are here, they will receive the mark of this leader, this world-leading, religious-leading axis or tri-axis of evil. Don't get caught up in all of the silly speculation and get distracted from all of the other truths that you can see here. Just as the angels recognize God as holy, 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 the Antichrist will be recognized as unholy, unholy, unholy. The man will be recognized, rightfully so, as sinner, sinner, sinner. You will wear the mark of this triaxis of evil, identifying you as a sinner without any hope of redemption from that point forward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you for the wisdom that you give us, that we don't have to go outside of it to all sorts of human ideology and speculation and newspapers and news received on online resources to try to figure out things that we can't figure out. But Lord, we thank you that we have hope beyond what we're seeing here, and our hope is in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for that hope because without Christ, we know this, we would be candidates to bow down and to worship this false image of the beast, and we would be candidates to have marks placed on our hands and on our forehead to serve the system of the dragon and the Antichrist. God, I thank you that you have graciously saved us from that. You have rescued us from that. Lord, we know that this day will come and we grieve for those souls even now. But we pray for your mercy and your grace in the lives of others that they would hear the truth of the gospel as we have and they would be saved and sealed from this time. Lord, we thank you for the insight that you gave to your servant, John, to pass this along to us. Not so that we can figure out all the mysteries of the world, but so that we can rest in a God who is thrice holy. And we can know that our allegiance is to you, not to the enemy Satan as it once was, and not to his schemes and his deception and our sin, but to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you made that possible on our behalf on the cross where you died in our place. We glorify you tonight. We thank you tonight for the rescue and the salvation that we've been given. Lord, I pray for the one who's here who does not know Christ, that they see that they're in grave danger, future judgment, and that tonight they would repent of their sin, and that they would turn to you by faith, trusting in you, surrendering to you as Lord and Savior, and that they would be saved and forgiven as you promised and granted eternal life. God, we thank you for each of these men and their homes and their lives. We pray that you bless them as they continue to study your word seek after your will. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.